Our scripture for today comes from the book of John, chapter 12, verses 20 through 26, and it reads, Now there were some Greeks among those who went to worship at the festival. They, went, they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. This is the word of God. Will you please pray with me? Dear Lord, we hear you in this moment and we come to you. And I pray that as a congregation, we can take this message that we just read and take it to our hearts and let it soak in and let it change us. Lord, I pray that we can learn to stop loving our lives and instead lay down our lives for you and become one of your servants. Lord, Pastor Mike is about to come up here and he's about to preach from your word. And so I pray that you will guide him in these coming moments, and so that the words that he speaks will not be of his own, but will be your words flowing through him. In your name we pray. Amen. I uh, want to welcome all of you that are joining us live here at Marion Methodist at 5050 REC Drive, and those of you that are joining us as the church online and worshiping uh, with us. It is important, I think, to remind ourselves that uh, Whatever this evil, wicked virus is, it's not over yet. And so we encourage you to continue to advocate for your own health and to protect those around you. So please feel welcome and invited to on this facility and property and all the church properties. Um, you're encouraged and welcome to wear a mask if that's uh, best for you. And all of us are welcome to do that. And it's certainly good to see a lot of those. Well, it's not good to see a lot of masks popping back up, but it's necessary. So we're glad that some of you... Um, are feeling comfortable in masks. Would you take a minute, would you pray with me? Help us, Jesus. Help us. We come to you today as residents of a broken world. We Americans are overcome with grief this day. We are consumed with the images of men, women, and boys and girls injured or killed in a heinous acts even in Afghanistan. Our hearts hurt for families. Our minds wander. How can this be right? And the discourse of public opinion is so inflammatory, not looking for solutions, but looking for who to blame. Help us, Jesus. Beyond the wars, Father God, there are natural events, storms and floods and earthquakes that have devastated many more lives. And on our knees, spiritually or physically, we cry out, Lord Jesus, help us. We wonder, is this it? Is this it? Is this the end of the world, the end of life as we know it? Are not the signs of the time as defined in the Holy Word here and present right now? Is this it? 
Lord's accord, of course, Lord, as always. If we can push back and gain some perspective, it is simply true that the signs of time, the times, the last times, are always present. And their presence should draw us to intentionally lean into you, and sometimes they do. And sometimes we hide from them. Sometimes we really don't know what to do. This is probably one of those times. So in our grief, in our uncertainty, help us, Jesus. Lord Jesus, today we will do what we believe you want us to do. We beckon you to come to us and with all of our strength and all of our will, with all of our hopes, all of our dreams and aspirations, we will come to you. Help us, Jesus. In this sin-soaked, war-torn, virus-filled world, we need you today. Help us, Jesus. Amen. It is always when you take the role of the pastor or the preacher to consider what it is you're supposed to do. And I will tell you this because I know it to be true because I have some experience in this matter. There are some days when it's harder to know exactly how to go about this task than others. But in every one of those days, this is what always comes to us. When we preach in difficult times or when we hear the message of Christ in difficult times, what we need to hear most fully is the strong and clear call of Christ on our lives. And this whole service, if you've been part of it, paying attention either online or here in this building, you can understand that it is the clear call of Christ to which we are being beckoned to respond today. So let me turn to the preaching moment with this simple phrase. You've all said it. How much is this going to cost? How much? I remember I was a young married person. We were living in Colorado Springs, and I got a phone call. And some of you guys don't know what this is. You don't know what this is, Nathan. I had a phone that you pulled off from the wall, and it was attached. You could walk about this far away. And this, this wonderful, vivacious, bouncy little female voice on the other end of the phone said, Mr. Morgan. And I said, well, yes, that's me. She says, you have been selected for three free nights at Walt Disney World Resorts. I said, that's awesome. And she explained the hotel I got to stay in and the fact that I could get tickets to the Magic Kingdom. And then she said, I just need your credit card information. I said, hold on. How much is this going to cost me? And for young Mary's, the answer was, too much. Too much. A few weeks ago, one of our younger members came up to me and said, Pastor Mike, Two weeks ago, my cousin called me and she said, you get to be the best, uh, the maid of honor at my wedding. I'm so excited. I'm so excited I get to do it. But then she said, so you have to plan the bachelorette party and your dress is going to cost $300. And she said, I had no idea how much it was going to cost me. 
We ask that question about everything from gas to the time we spend doing anything. How much is this going to be cost? Many invitations come to us with less than a clear picture of how much our response, our positive response might truly cost us. This is not true with Jesus. He is crystal clear, absolutely clear in his invitation. Jesus invites you to follow him and promises it will cost you a lot. It will cost you a lot. He wants your all. That's why he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. He only wants the one thing, all of you. It's expensive. So I'm going to take just a few minutes here and, and really study three of the verses that Caden read very well for you just a couple of moments ago. First one, John 12, 24. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, truly, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. Now, I am not an agronomist. I did not really know all this to be true. I've planted things before, and they've grown, but as far as vegetables and whatnot, as long as my two favorite grocery stores remain open and Mary Lee keeps giving me cherry tomatoes, I don't need to grow anything, right? But, so I have to study these things. I mean, I see the farms and all that kind of stuff. They're all around us. But I've always been kind of a city guy, you know? But here's what I came to understand, is if you place a, a, a grain of wheat or a grain of corn in the ground, it, it can't continue its life as it's been. It has to die, and then what's in it opens up, and that's what pokes through the surface and produces grain much more than the single grain that's been placed into the ground. Now, in this picture of grain, Jesus is talking to us about the sacrifice he must make, the, the sacrifice that is necessary for all of us. Jesus, as you know, you've read the stories and if you, if you don't, look at the, if you haven't, look at the back of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John uh, in your Bible app or in your Bible. But understand that Jesus paid the penalty for our sin and to demonstrate his power over death. So just as the grain of wheat dies and then resurrects many fold, Jesus' death, and that's the only way a grain of wheat can work that way. It's the only way it can live. Jesus is willing to die, and that becomes the only way, the one way to, for, to eternal life for all those who would believe. In, in this picture now, do, do understand in the picture of this verse, Jesus does not require most of us to literally, and I mean it not in the way high school students use it today, I mean it in the way literally means. Jesus does not require most of us literally to give our lives in sacrificial death to be fruitful. Rather, we are to live, which might be a little bit harder, by the way, we are to live everyday lives that are modeled on Jesus. Everyday lives. Moment by moment by moment. It's about the sacrifice of our every moment. Second verse I want to share with you. Whoever loses his life, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world We'll keep it for eternal life. Now, let me unpack that just a minute. This means, that particular verse means we lose our life when we decide that what we have going on in our lives with the plans of our own lives is more important than God's will for us. That when we pick what we think is more important, when we pick our way, 
Because when we live that way, we forfeit the life that God wants us to live, a life of relationship with Him now and eternity. So when we lose our life, we're actually losing what's out in front of us by choosing what we have right now. Charles Spurgeon, a preacher from the last century, wrote this, There are no crown wearers in heaven who are not cross bearers here below. Years ago, we were down at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, and way down this, you know, pretty steep sidewalk, we saw this kid, really dark hair, little go, little, little uh, soul patch, right? Way down there, and he's got a rope around his waist, big thick rope, and like a kid's wagon, you know what I'm talking about, like the little red wagon, and in this wagon, there's a woman sitting there. Okay, you see stuff at the Olympic Training Center, but there's this young guy, and he's doing this up the sidewalk all the way up 200 yards comes all the way up this sidewalk and uh his name was apollo ono have you ever heard of him eight eight medals two gold medals four bronze two silvers in speed skating when he got up to the top of the hill he said only 10 more and back down the hill they went now, I looked at that young man, and you could see that he was living a life of discipline and dedication. He probably hadn't, a fr hadn't had a French fry since he was the last time his parents had a Happy Meal, you know, for him. I don't know. Incredible athlete. But it was the day after day. And by the way, there was no crowds there. We were just people walking by on the sidewalk. No crowds watching him doing it. This was his day-to-day -day dedication and discipline. When we talk about cross-bearers, the cross-bearers are those who live a life of discipline and dedication every single day to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hard. Discipline and dedicated living is very hard. It's day after day, decision after decision, moment after moment, we're asked to do the hard thing. And this explains the whole hating your life deal that's in the passage. You know, th this explains that hating your life does not mean you wish you weren't alive. Or wish that you could take yourself off the face of the earth. Hating your life in this context means dying to one's desires constantly to intentionally become a servant of Jesus. You die to yourself daily and intentionally to become a servant to Jesus. And so the third verse. If anyone serves me, he, and I would add she, must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant also. See, being a servant means being a follower and to be a follower it means you have to yield some control if you're going to follow somebody you have to go where they go right you have to do what they encourage you to do years ago when uh, years ago this is years ago allison this long time ago i was at the charles wilderness uh charles summers wilderness canoe base in ely minnesota and we were like early in high school, a group of us on one of these long canoe trips through Boy Scouts of America. And sometimes when you got to these long portages where you had to carry your stuff, there was an alternate route. You could go down, you know, some sort of rapids that connected this lake to the next lake. And we came to a couple of those and our guide Lonnie says, you know, you guys don't have to carry all this stuff. If you follow me, and do exactly what I tell you to do. So if I yell J-stroke, yell J, 
sweep a J-stroke. Don't reach out and use your paddle to push off the rocks. You have to do exactly what I tell you to do. And when we did, we followed our leader right through there. But when he would yell, we would do. We had to yield what we thought you know, were great canoeing skills that got us there to follow somebody that really knew the way. And so when you want to follow the leader, you, you either follow and yield or else you create trouble for yourself. Being a servant of Jesus Christ requires following him in everything. Now, many of Jesus' earthly followers did follow him right into their own earthly death. For the first three centuries or so, Sadly, and, and in some places of the world today, it, it was a routine thing for um, governmental authorities to come into the home of a Christian and say, will you renounce Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Will you say that he did not die on a cross and was resurrected and came back to physical life? And if you do so, you and your whole family will live. And so many thousands of people martyred themselves by following Christ. They gave their entire lives, their full life to Christ. Now, um, we see this play out in 2 Timothy, where Jesus says, here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Jesus says, follow me and serve me in the hard things, and you will join me in glory. This is the Christian life. Follow me in the hard things, and you will join me in glory. So Jesus invites you to follow him, and he promises you it will cost you a lot. It will cost you a lot, and the benefit will ultimately outweigh the cost many times over. The benefit's always going to outweigh the cost. So becoming a disciple is learning to live everyday life like Jesus, the everyday life like Jesus. So I'm going to give you six thoughts. If you haven't downloaded the church app, these thoughts are right on the uh, app, right on the slides. They're committed in there, or you can take a couple notes, um, or you can, if you're watching, if you're worshiping online, you can turn off and go feed the dog. Either way, I hope you listen, because I think these are important, and they, they, they're lifted right off the scriptures. First, a disciple elevates their faith over their family, and you're like, what? Hold on, hold on, hold on. I am a family person. I love my family. I grieve when things within them are broken. I ache when my spouse, my children, my grandchildren are hurting. And yet, Christ clearly calls us to elevate faith over our family. I want to make sure we understand this command, because this command is often misunderstood to read, don't love your family. That is exactly wrong. It does not say, don't love your family. That is incorrect. Elevating faith over family means to have God as the cornerstone of your life upon which your life stands, upon which you build the rest of your life. And the disciple who puts a high priority on faith understands clearly that because Christ loved us first, he, his love flows to us first. And in that way, when we love God, our love naturally flows to our family in huge measure. With God first, in our lives, when we put God first in our lives, loving our family is a natural outpouring of love. And the closer we get to God, the closer we endeavor to get to God, the more we will love our families. So love God more, love family more. That, that's really what Jesus intends 
when he says that when he says that love god more love family more a disciple models sacrifice over self-centeredness now this is a tough one this is really tough this is when we get to meddling in our own business because jesus is clear that if you're willing and ready to give up everything you can be a disciple if you're not willing and ready to give up everything you can't be my disciples we see that in the calling of peter and andrew james and john they left their stuff and followed him they left their obligations they left their opportunities and followed him many of us in jesus time and today are afraid to get too close to god we're afraid to let god get closer to us because of what he may require of us because he does require some things let's be honest let's be straight up honest here sometimes we are afraid of getting closer to god because there are some things in our lives that we want to say well that's kind of taboo for you get to get involved in lord i don't really want you to put your hands on that you know and that might be our careers because we say you know things are going really well why would you why would you ask me to do less work there so i could do more things here god but what about our money and our consumption we don't really we like to hold some thing the things back what, god why would you get involved in my dating life why would you want to get involved in my relationship life even though i might have a toxic relationship and there's ways to get away from it and and so we we fear getting closer to god because he's going to get into the business that matters the most to us and if we get too much closer to god than those things that we reserve from him he gets into third a disciple is willing to accept pain rather than always expecting pleasure now the pain pleasure worldview tells people to avoid pain now in this section right here you can't see it online but we have a lot of our young parents i'm not talking about the pain that you get barefooted stepping on a lego all right avoid that grandparents you've all had it too right we're not saying that you need to step on legos just to make yourself more of a disciple don't enjoy that kind of pain that's just wrong but the bible does say that jesus disciples will follow the the path of the cross he does not promise an easy life no one will carry your cross for you you have to carry it yourself now jesus in the scriptures he shows this all dramatically and demonstrably when he goes through the last moments of his life and of course shows us how to carry his cross down the via della rosa the walk of the cross end up at calvary then of course is killed um, and raises back to life this when we're talking about where we live today we have to say how is it that that we can be willing to accept a little pain it's daily look look at this the self-denial for us which is pleasing to christ consists in the little things this is plain for opportunity for great self-denials does not come every day you're not going to be asked to give up your whole living every day you're not going to be asked to give up your life for christ but to take up the cross of christ is is no great action done once and for all it consists of the continual practice of small duties which are distasteful for us we have to do the things that are hard day after day moment after moment they don't always bring us pleasure but we can't be pain or giving or sacrifice averse this 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 giving up 
you know, following, doing these small duties day by day by day, that requires discipline and dedication because it's avoidable. We don't have to do it. You know, most of us can live pretty happy lives here on earth by not sacrificing anything. And we need to hear, because sometimes when we hear a talk like this, when we read scriptures like this, we hear that we get the wrong idea about Christianity sometimes. Because I actually think the faith is winsome and loving and, and has a lot of joy and happiness. We need to make sure that we don't understand the Christian life as a painful toy, toil with endless drudgery until we die. And then we go off to heaven. Walking the path of the cross is walking the road of both suffering and glory. We see images of that here in our lives, in families, in the places we find where we have some suffering along with some wondrous things. So we live a life that has suffering and glory mixed together, and that's life and life in all its fullness. Fourth, a disciple elevates relationship above religion. Don't, don't understand what I'm not saying, but this is really, really, really important. Years ago, I was on a, I've been around for a long time, so I was on the board of trustees at a college for about 12 years, just ended my term when we started to build these buildings. One of my tasks in that job was to be the chair of a presidential search committee. We needed a new president at the college. We brought, and this was kind of new. I'm a pastor, right? So on the board of trustees of colleges are major philanthropic people. So doctors and um, inventors and big-time stockbrokers and, you know, captains of industry and some preacher from Iowa, okay? And I'm putting together the logistics so we're flying people into the airport, Hilton, you know, right there at, uh, at um, O'Hare, and we're going to interview them in a conference room and all this, and we're going to make a decision. And, we, of course, we vetted these people, brought it down from 30 to 5, I think. And we got to the weekend there, and it kind of thinned out to where we had two main candidates, over this weekend or a period of time and I was sitting with a partner a great friend of mine Byron Johnson who was a partner in Arthur Anderson uh, he's you know 25 years older than me and I said I'm really torn between these two candidates I'm really torn I said what should we do he says well it really comes down to one thing Mike he says you have to decide which one of these guys you will trust and follow? Which one of these guys will you actually follow? Because you have to build a relationship of trust. It was all about the relationship. How, how over a period of time can you build a relationship with, with, with him that you can trust? Well, here's the thing, the beautiful thing about when we talk about the Lord is we don't follow someone we don't know. We just won't. Jesus gives us great insight as to who he was and who he is. He allows us to know him, to get in relationship with him, and therefore we can follow him. And, and so then the question that comes to us or the directive that comes to us is, are you growing your relationship? Listen carefully here. Are you growing your relationship with Christ so that you can follow him in your everyday life, or are you simply religious? That's what the Pharisees were. They were simply religious. They didn't really want a relationship with God. They wanted to be simply religious. So we have to ask, am I being faithful? Am I growing my relationship with God and with Christ so that I might know him more fully? 
Or do I simply want to be a religious person? There are more than one than the other, that's for sure. Fifth, a disciple values commitment over convenience. It is our reality to commit to what Christ is saying to us and to consider what he is saying before we jump in. I started out with how much is this going to cost? We as disciples, we as believers, need to count the cost to see if what I have and what I'm willing to give is enough to stay committed. I had to tell you, most of us don't. Most believers in the U.S. don't. And so, of course, I want to lead a church where there are exceptional disciples, where people are exceptional in their commitment. And I pray that and try to drive that for myself, that we're exceptionally committed, that we will commit to Christ even when it's inconvenient. And sixth, the disciple is useful to God, not useless. It is easy to get contaminated by the world, right? We need as disciples to make sure we are not getting too contaminated by the world. I mean, we have spent since March of 2020 making sure in this church that we had all the supplies and all the policies in place and all of the procedures that we could help people make sure they did not get contaminated by COVID. We have disinfectants and rags and hand sanitizers everywhere. We pulled kind of back on how we offer foods. I mean, just like a month or so ago, we started putting on cookies and letting you pour your own coffee. We are taking deliberate steps every single day to protect us from physical contamination, and we need to continue to do so. And in our Christian life, we need to take steps morally and ethically to make sure we don't get contaminated. Deliberate steps are always necessary to maintain purity of character, cleanliness of soul, and morality that confluences and lives with the gospel. You and I both know, as Christians, or as those who seek to be Christ followers, there are circumstances that we simply need to avoid. Yeah, you know what they are in your life. I know what they are in my life. We need to avoid some stuff we're putting into our eyes, into our ears, to coming out of our mouth, people we're with, all that kind of stuff. We know that, and we need to improve some other things in our life. We, we, we know that nothing is impossible for God, so we can improve some things. And we know that too. And so, you know, I turn the page with this. From G.K. Chesterton, great philosopher and preacher. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found, found wanting. It, it doesn't lack. It has been found difficult and left untried. We know that the biggest failure of Christianity in the lives of most believers is that it's left untried. Because it costs so much. We are called to do the hard thing and fearlessly and fruitfully we've got to walk into it and not like in some moment where we get all emotional and say I'll pay it Christ but in very deep there are those moments in our lives of course but in very deep contemplative moments where we say you know what it's going to cost a lot and I know it's worth it 
learning to live like Jesus does every day, that's what a disciple is. And that's what a disciple does. And we're invited, we're invited to that very important and very costly life.